Hello, everyone, and welcome to Digital Roadmap, an old-school gaming podcast where we explore how the games of the past brought us the games that we love today. This episode, we're going to look at the history of the house that Will Wright built. That's right, we're looking at the history of Maxis Games from their founding until their final absorption into the mega beast that is EA Games. Now, at the very beginning of Maxis, kind of pre-Maxis essentially, it started with Will Wright's first game, which is Raid on Bungling Bay. It was a basic helicopter rescue and fighting game, so you'd fight off some different turrets and that, you'd swoop in, save some people on the ground, and get back out in one piece. One of the things Will loved most about this was actually building the maps on the islands more than the core game itself and all the actual gameplay of that. And this inspired him to build a game about building cities. Now, the helicopter game was actually published by Borderbond Software. We've touched on them before as kind of this big monolith publisher back in the day. But they didn't want to pick this up as an in-house title. They thought it was, eh, it was okay. But it not good enough to justify a first-party publishing deal. So what happened was Will went out, formed a company, and they made it themselves with a few of his teammates. And then Borderbomb published the initial version of SimCity. Now, Maxis is notorious, famous, beloved for their non-traditional simulations. Your traditional simulators are more along the lines of something like Civilization or the Civil War series of games where you're really controlling units on a field. You're trying to replicate things as accurately and as micro as possible. The Maxis games would usually focus on larger scale, more macro concepts. SimCity really did break that mold. They were the first ones. You're managing systems and you're laying out instead of figuring out every little bit where each unit goes, where each building goes. You just throw down general blocks of region. Now for Maxis, you can almost always recognize a Maxis simulation game by just the Sim Thing naming style that they have. You have Sim Earth, where you create the ecosphere of an entire planet. You have Sim Ant, where you literally can troll a colony of ants mostly by being a drone but having some large-scale controls to try to move them around as an army if you need be you have sim golf which was actually partnered with sid meyer of civilization fame and what you're doing there is you're basically just building a golf course you get a chance to play it with your guys not a great golf simulator but did the trick but yeah you're basically trying to run a golf course and make a profit but you get to design the layout of the course the layout of each hole figure out where the bunkers are going to go, where the water traps are going to go, and it gives you that level of control that you would almost expect from a SimCity-style map builder by the time of SimCity 2000, for example. Now, we've looked at SimCity before. We've gotten into it on the show here before where you understand how it is a macro control. You're controlling residencies. You're controlling commercial areas. You're you're laying down the zones. You're not controlling what is built there. You leave that up to the simulation itself to run. Eventually, what Will did and what Maxis did is they took the macro micro. They created a game called The Sims, which we're going to get into detail much further in the next episode. But really what that did is it brought all of that down to a one block radius. Instead of controlling a whole city, you're now controlling a neighborhood. And instead of managing the details of the zoning and the lawn maintenance and all that, you're controlling the people inside. So you pick a block of houses, you basically try and see how they live. Now, this series did feature multiple expansion packs. This is especially before DLC was common, so you'd get an expansion pack for 20 bucks and get a lot of content in it. Now they do more DLC, so you're seeing that number scale up as to how much each Sims game comes with. And in fact, the Sims series has carried on. It's currently up to version 4. So we have the Sims 4 out now. I think they just released the Mermaid Beach Fun Pack. And yeah, each one has had more and more expansions. Each one's been very themed in their expansions. 
usually there's some small gameplay feature update going on in there so that it it's not just an item pack. They add value to it by giving you something to do, something new to play around with, concept-wise. And this is no longer being made by the Maxis that we know. This is this is very much an EA product now. They've done that, and it's been argued that they're nickel and diming features into the game. There used to be ladders for the pools that you could add and remove as you want in Sims 4. That did not come as a base feature. So there is a lot of criticism. There is a lot of attack going on about that overall. But it's it's still an interesting series. It's still a fascinating concept of just a life simulation game. Now, one of the last major projects that Will Wright did before he left Maxis was what I call taking the macro macro, making the big things bigger. So while he was more known for his city simulators, his planet simulators, he created a game called Spore, which eventually we will look at as well, that blows that up to the whole thing. You are dealing with the entirety of a species existence, right from their single cellular amoeba state, all the way up through their evolution into being pack animals, then being into tribes, then running cities and countries, to eventually going out into space, exploring space, and helping seed the galaxy, and adding more stuff in, and exploring the secrets that are beyond, so that there was some sort of gameplay device there. Now, it didn't excel at any particular concept. It wasn't a phenomenal game for each of those. There's games out there that better represent each stage of the game. But it was this grand experiment, and it was a passion project for Will Wright. And there, I'll, I'll include a clip in the show notes that have Robin Williams taking you through the creature creator. It, it inspired that kind of passion in people, and it was great to see that. I still think it's a very good game on its own. I think there's a, it's very underrated. I think it was a victim of people expecting more of it and not getting what they expected. Giving to charity is a good thing. Giving to charity and getting a game in return is an even better thing. With the Humble Store, you can do just that. When you buy from the Humble Store, a portion of every purchase goes to charity. It doesn't matter if you buy a single game, one of their game or book bundles, or their monthly bundle deal. Every purchase helps out a great cause. Humble includes a wonderful collection of new releases, indie darlings, and even the time-tested classics. Games like Orwell, where you serve as a member of a government surveillance program, deciding the information to pass up the chain of command. Do you ignore the context and make someone look like just an unhinged killer? Or do you ignore your instincts, even at the risk to public safety, just to make sure you don't give the wrong details? One of the classics that I love and I keep going back to is Fallout, the original. It's a post-apocalyptic game that launched the whole series. Can you find the water chip needed to save your people before time runs out? And I don't even want to get into the rest of the story after that happens. After you win your objective, there's a whole other story that pans out that's also very crucial. And as an added bonus for listeners of this podcast, if you buy anything after following the link in the show notes, a small portion of your purchase is going to be given to the show. This helps support the kind of content you're listening to right now, helps offset some of our hosting costs. So if you were looking for a new game or to get a classic that won't run off the discs anymore because it just doesn't run on modern systems, go to the Humble Store using the links in the show notes and get something for your donation. Now, the biggest factor in the EA story is that in 1997, EA bought out the company. At the time, there was some reorganizing and absor slower absorbing than most of their companies that were done. And this was probably due to The Sims coming out and the continued generation of money from them, the amount of money that was coming in from The Sims. Also, the passion for SimCity that players had and the, their ability to just 
constantly desire new games in that and constantly playing it no matter what, with the exception of one release. Now, that slow absorption really was the oddity in EA. You have companies like Westward and Origin. They weren't as lucky. They were bought out and they were absorbed relatively quick. Their downfall was much quicker than Maxis's has been. And it was around 2006, so about nine years after that, that the Sims team was broken into their own studio. And in 2009 is when Will Wright actually left. So you're looking 12 years after the buyout. But that really was the signal of the end of Maxis. Because usually when a company loses its founder, when they lose their guiding head like that, you're going to see the company shift. You're going to see it go downhill fairly quick. Nowadays, most of Maxis is basically used as Sims branding, be it SimCity, The Sims. You're going to see mobile versions of old Maxis games using the Maxis logo. It's just, it, it's a name now more than a company, more than a design philosophy like it was under Will Wright. Now, there's a lot of people out there that don't really follow the course of studios as a whole. It's something I do. It's something I've always been fascinated by. There's a reason when I see EA by a company, I don't immediately assume the worst, but I do watch for certain signs. But for the people that don't watch, they are, a lot of the time they're shocked to see them devolve and change over the years. It's, you know, well, why isn't Bioware making the same type of games Bioware used to make? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Why isn't Maxis making Sims the way they used to make the Sims? And that's, that's because they do change over the years. And a lot of this time, these changes do occur after buyouts and or, for example, the departure of a high-level founder like Will Wright. Because they're the guides of the studio. They're the direction. They're the soul of the studio. And when they're gone, it's hard to keep that going. You know, this is a cycle that goes back to the beginning of the industry. You had Atari staff break off and form Activision and Acclaim and companies like that because they wanted to do something different. So it's almost like you get the new staff in, they get their skills, they get the training that they need, they learn really what they're capable of. And then if a company's doing really well, you're going to see a lot of those guys branch off and do something new because the more successful a company gets, the more corporate the structure ends up having to become and creatives don't always like that. But then they leave, they start a new company, that company starts growing with the new ideas, they become more corporate out of necessity, and you see probably the owners leave, and then you see some of the staff leave and start their own company up as well. This is how we got companies like Troika, this is how we got games like Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, because you have these companies split off, you have these companies evolve over time. Now, it, it is very sad when these companies close down, it's tragic to see the staff lose their job. But I'm happy to see it when they have the chance to leave or at least choose to be able to leave because that's when we see those new companies form up that exploit their key skills. You know what? When you're watching any studios, when you're keeping an eye on a studio that you're a fan of, keep this in mind when watching them. Keep an eye on who comes and goes because you won't begin to wonder why things go downhill. You won't begin to wonder why that element of the game isn't like it used to be because the person that used to be in charge of that is off doing their own thing now. I've always encouraged following developers and following designers around as opposed to following companies themselves. Because if there's something about that game you like and you know the, who the lead designer is, that's where you're going to get the interesting things from them. And so that's it for the Rise and Fall of Maxis. Thanks for joining us this episode. And if you want to reach out, you can do it on Twitter at Roadmap Podcast. Come to the website, roadmappodcast.com. While you're there, free to suggest some older games we should play, share some of your favorite memories, ask questions. Come by the Discord channel while you're at it too. That's going to be in the show notes too. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, really wherever you're getting your podcast. Subscribe to the show if you're not already. If you are subscribed, drop a review in there as well. It's always nice to see that come up. Now, next episode, as I said, we're going to be looking at The Sims, which really has become the crown jewel of Maxis. After SimCity, that became the game. I actually remember playing it at release and how fascinating the concept was to me and trying to explain it to my aunt at the time. So come back then and thanks for listening. <laughs>